Cause sometimes I be right Hello Welcome To the show What a beautiful day it is Listen, I'm gonna give you a disclaimer right off the top Today's gonna be a little different Nah, maybe not (laughs) Now that I think about it It might not be different at all I don't even know As you know, it was a, uh a big, massive, mega event. The worldwide superstar boxer Jake Paul fought on Saturday night against Anderson Silva. MMA legend. Combat sports legend. And I got to tell you, I got a lot of thoughts. Now look, I wanted to record on Saturday after I watched the fight. But I decided, nope, I'm not going to do it because I'm too emotional. I'm too, I'm too upset. I'm too all over the place. My thoughts are racing like crazy i said you know what we record the show let's wait let's gather our thoughts let's collect ourselves because you know in the moment you get emotions are running high i love this sport i love boxing and apparently so does he you know what we'll get into it later i don't want to get into it now i want to get through all the actual important sports stuff that I got going on, the, the, the topics that demand my expertise. And then we'll get into the Jake Paul stuff. Let's intro this thing, man. Welcome back, Cyber Family. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I am your host, John Favre, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally. So as I said, there's some sports things to get into um, this week, starting it off before we get into our full, full on deep dive into the Jake Paul madness. I promise you, I can't promise you it won't get heated, <laughs> but I can promise you my thoughts are probably not what you think. But let's get into some quick hits. Quick hits, quick hits. So the Knicks and the Cavs played uh, this past week, and it was the first time we got to see Donovan Mitchell um, against the Knicks since the whole offseason debacle of not even trading for him. Now, I'm one of the people that came out and said, right off the rip, right off, trade whoever needs to be traded, do whatever you got to do to get that done. They want five first round picks, give them. They want, uh, they want Obi Toppin, cool. They want RJ Barrett, please trade RJ Barrett. They want uh, Quentin Grimes, go ahead, take them. Take them. Doesn't matter, get them. Now, in this game, uh, RJ Barrett, obviously, anytime these two teams play, I mean, even for the whole season when they're not playing each other, I think RJ Barrett versus Donovan Mitchell is going to be something to keep an eye on. I personally am because RJ Barrett, I think they went with RJ Barrett based on potential and thinking he has a potential to be really good. I personally think he's Andrew Wiggins. That's what I think. That's what I think. I know it's not the uh, Canadian roots comparison. No, 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 no. It's just the way they play, their potential, what you hope they could be, and what they actually are, and what they look like they're comfortable doing. So in this game, Donovan Mitchell went 12 of 20 for 38 points and 12 assists. Yowzas. And of course, the Cats won. And in the same game, RJ Barrett had a good shooting night. 6 for 10, 15 points. Here's the problem. Why are you taking 10 shots? In this game, R.J. Barrett was third on the team in attempts. You're supposed to be the guy. Hold on. Hold on hold, hey, I thought he was the guy. I thought R.J. Barrett was coming in this year to establish himself or the team was establishing him as he's the guy. You're third on the team in attempts. That, nah, that's, that's not OK. Ten attempts. 
10, 10, Donovan Mitchell doubled you up. Now, in my opinion, that's what R.J. Barrett is. That's what he's comfortable doing. That's what he likes to do. I don't think he wants to be the guy. I don't think he wants to be the man. I think he's cool being third, third guy. Hey, third option. And like I said, he'll come through every once in a while with a big game. He'll throw up a 30-point game, maybe even a 40-point game every once in a while. But so did Andrew Wiggins when he was playing uh, with Minnesota. But again, when he had to be the guy in Minnesota, it really wasn't the best. Then you move him to Golden State, where he could be the third option, fourth option some nights. And hey, that's where he thrives. Look at the playoffs last year. He was still the third option. But in that role, he was able to excel because that's where his comfort zone is. That's what I see RJ Barrett being. Donovan Mitchell came into that game and showed you, I am a go-to guy. I am a scorer. I will get you buckets. RJ Barrett showed you, hey, I can be solid. <laughs> that's the problem. That's the problem. If you're a Knicks fan, or if you're even in the Knicks front office, if you can't see this, I don't know what else you need to see. I don't know what more proof you need in a game where any competitor would say, oh, they were considering trading me for you. They were considering it. Now you got to go out and do something. Now you got to go out and show them, hey, watch this. And he didn't. Ten shots. That's it. Oh, boy. Look, man, I think the Knicks, I think the Knicks made a mistake. I think I'm well documented in that. But whatever so steve nash and the brooklyn nets have agreed to part ways aka he got fired and they're trying to save face and say hey we're not gonna throw you under the bus completely but that's what happened he got fired look i'm happy i shouldn't say i'm happy because i honestly don't care about the brooklyn nets they're so irrelevant to me i'm not happy but good move good for them i do agree that they should have let steve nash go i don't think they should ever gave him the job i understand the idea of hey steve kerr worked out it's a young young guy kind of like a jason kidd type who's just coming in give him his first start he's got a smart offensive mind cool that's fine but let's not pretend like steve nash was the problem with the nets he certainly wasn't a solution but the problem with the nets is since the beginning they've had a trash roster from the very beginning, when the Nets were doing well, their roster consisted of a group of guys that all fit a role. They had a defined role. Here's the starters. Here's who we need to get points. Here's the rotation. Da, da, da. It was all there. It was set up. It was perfect. Everyone had a defined role. Then what happened was, hey, they got Kyrie and KD. And then because of the contracts with those two, they had to let some guys go, some glue pieces. And then they replaced him with a bunch of names, a bunch of names, just a bunch of like they literally constructed it like you would in 2K. Like it, 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 it's, it's unbelievable. Like at one point you had Blake Griffin. What was he there for? What did you have him for? What was his role? I don't know. Just you just go out there, go play. That's what I'm saying. Like their, their roster consists of a group like, for example, Ben Simmons. What's his role? What's his role? Does he fit? Does he fit? Anything that you're trying to do, does he fit? No. No, he doesn't. But it's a good name. He's got talent. He's got ability. But ability is useless if you if his ability isn't what you need him to do. It, it, you have to build your team and have an idea. Like, the best team to do it is, like, the Spurs, right? Because they have a system that here's the guys we need, plug and play. We're only going to pick up the guys that satisfy a need. We don't care about the name. 
See, Brooklyn made a mistake and decided, well, we paid all this money. We got to get this revenue, throw all these big names together. Who's available? Who's a big name free agent that's older that nobody really wants to sign? We can get bring him here. And then you just have a collection of guys and it, it like it doesn't work. I mean, getting James Harden was a massive mistake. And you corrected that mistake and you traded him, but then you traded him for Ben Simmons. And it's like, eh, he doesn't fit. Like he doesn't do anything that you need him to do. He's kind of just a guy. And guess what? That's going to blow up. So I say all that to say it, Steve Nash, they needed to part ways. He needed to get fired. He wasn't getting the job done, but you could bring in Ime Adoka, who was the rumors, which first of all, I, I didn't even realize he was eligible to be hired somewhere else. I thought he was suspended. Is he fired? I thought he was just suspended. Nah, it's neither here than there. But even if they hire him, he's a great coach, right? He did well with Boston. But if you think he's going to come into this roster and do something with this roster, hey, Boston had a roster that was comprised of guys who fit roles. There were clear roles. If you're going to do X, Y, and Z, we need you to do X, Y, and Z. And everyone had their roles and played their part. Brooklyn has no roles and no one is playing their part. And the biggest problem is I don't think guys like Kyrie. I don't. I don't think guys like Ben Simmons. And to be honest with you, I think KD is kind of checked out. Look, Durant loves to play basketball, so he's always going to go out there and ball. But I don't think he looks like he cares about anybody else on that team. I don't even think he looks like he cares about the team. He's just going to go out there and play ball because he loves to play ball. But he don't care about that team. The Cowboys didn't make any trades before the trade deadline happened on Tuesday. And uh, I'm happy about it. There was rumors coming out. Jerry Jones said things could get kind of hectic, implying that they were making some moves. And they ended up not making a single move. And I love that. I applaud the move. Stamp at, you're 6-2. and two. Um... You don't need to go out there and trade for someone. So the biggest rumor was that they were uh, in talks to acquire Brandon Cooks. I'll be honest with you. If Brandon Cooks gets traded one more time, I'm going to spit. (laughs) Brandon Cooks is a guy who everybody wants and then everybody wants to get rid of. And it's like, how many times do you need to see somebody go out and trade for him? He go to the team, underperform, and then that team either releases him or trades him. I don't need to see that again. Is Brandon Cooks going to come into the Cowboys and change life on that roster? Is it going to change the world? No. No, not at all. Nope. Mm -mm. Nope. Not at all. So keep your draft picks. Continue to build through the draft and go along that way. You're six and two. What you're doing is working well enough. You're not going to have a disaster season. Now, look, maybe it goes sideways and you lose the rest of your games. Highly unlikely. So if you just stay the course in the draft next year, go ahead and draft you a big time receiver. You can get receivers in the third, fourth, fifth round. I have a whole topic later explaining just that type of thing. So I don't think I don't think you knew you needed to go out there and trade for anybody. I think the Cowboys did the right thing by staying pat. Let it be known that, hey, we're going to ride with what we got. That gives the guys in the locker room a lot of confidence, especially that receiver group saying, hey, we believe in you guys. Keep it rolling. I like the move. That's it for quickest. I want to get into a little topic. Uh, I got a couple couple small topics that I wanted to get into. Um, so last week, I said that the uh, the Cowboys, Cowboys and Bears game was a 10-point line. 
Cowboys ended up winning by 20. I said, I don't think the Cowboys will win by 10. I think the Bears run the ball well. I think the Cowboys have trouble stopping the run, and I just see the game being closer than 10. I did pick the Cowboys to win. I thought they would win the game. I didn't think they'd have a problem winning. I just thought 10 was too high of a number. And I was wrong. Kind of. The Cowboys still gave up 240 rushing yards. In a game that you're dominating in terms of score, it wasn't close. There's no point in that game where you thought, ooh, this is a close game. To give up 240 rushing yards is a massive number. If you give up a whole bunch of passing yards in a game, I can understand that. Because if you're up big, you're throwing the ball, you're playing a little prevent, that happens. There's no big deal. No big, no harm in that. But rushing yards, teams rarely run the ball when they're down by big, big scores. And the, the Bears did, 240. Obviously, it didn't hurt the Cowboys. They won by 20. Um, some of that was turnovers. But still, still a problem, right? Still something to notice. They got some fortunate turnovers, like I said. They got some They got some breaks. Some balls bounced their way. But still, the rushing numbers are a concern. And Dak played great. And I know people are going to jump on me because I said last week I'm done with Dak. Uh, I don't think he's the guy. I don't believe in him. I still don't. That didn't change my mind at all because, again, going up against the Bears. The Bears aren't great. They're not great. That's not the, the, the measuring stick. So, yes, I was wrong, kind of. My concerns going into the game are still my, conter- my concerns coming out of the game. I think they the defense made some plays to make up for it. That late touchdown by Michael was massive. But, again, the, the, the warts are still there, which bring me to my next point of contention, which is the New York Giants. I know I've been picking them to lose uh, the last couple of weeks. I've been saying that, you know, they're winning, sure, but it's all smoke and mirrors. We acknowledge that smoke and mirrors was the wrong term to use, but it was all kind of like, eh, they're winning, but it just doesn't look impressive. And so, of course, I'm going to get one right, right? Like, eventually it's going to happen. They're going to lose. No one's going to go undefeated ever again. For sure, not ever again. So, no, I'm not here to toot my own horn because I got it right. But what I will say is this game, they didn't play any different than any other game they've played this year. Sometimes there are seasons where things just fall your way, right? There are, there are, whether it, and it goes both ways. Look, it goes both ways. Uh, In 2016, the Cowboys went on like an 11 game win streak with Dak Prescott, a rookie at quarterback and Zeke was a rookie and it was like, whoa. And if you watch those games, as I did as a fan, uh, you were like, man, they're winning. But wow. Like and everyone kept saying, oh, the, the ball keeps bouncing their way. They're getting some breaks, blah, blah, blah. And as a fan, you watch it and you say, huh, it's just it might just be their year. Might just be their year where things just kind of go your way. And then there's other seasons where things just don't go your way. Right. Where it's like, man, we just can't catch a break like things. For example, for me, the Raiders this year are a team where, hey, man, it's just not going their way this year. It's just it's just bad. It's just things aren't working like it's it's one of those years where it's like it doesn't make any sense. We got the players. We got this. Everything's lined up for us to be have some success and it's just not working. That's how I feel the Giants are. The Giants are winning and everyone, everyone meaning uh, Giants fans and national media is impressed, but not with how they play. They're impressed with the fact that they won. 
Because on Sunday, the Giants played exactly how they always play, how they always been playing. But again, one or two plays here or there, you know, make the difference. And most of the games, they've been the team that has step up, stepped up and made that play. And, and, and on Sunday, Seattle was the team that stepped up and made the play. And the Giants didn't match it. And it happens. It's no knock on the Giants. Again, you're winning. Kudos to you. You're winning. But at the same time, my contention was always that people are just pointing out the fact that they won as, oh, they're good because they're 6-1. and one. Or they're good because they're six and two, and it's like no. The be- once they're once they start playing the better teams on the schedule, they're going to lose. They lost to the two best teams they played. Like every other team they beat was they were they should have beat. I even say the Titans. I think the Titans are weak. I think if you could stop Derrick Henry, like what else do they have? Nothing. They traded away their best receiver in the offseason to the Eagles. So come on, let's stop pretending like we thought the Titans were going to be some dominant team. They're not. They're not very good. And you squeaked by in that game by one because of a missed field goal. Again, it just things just went your way. It's, it's a year like that for you. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. It happened to the Bengals last year. They rode that wave of, hey, man, it's just a year where things are going well for you. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It shouldn't be, but it is. And you rode it all the way to a Super Bowl. So maybe the Giants this year could ride it, ride it to a Super Bowl. I doubt it, but it's possible. So Daniel Jones went 17 of 31 for 176 yards, a 71.4 rating, and a 24.2 QBR. That's what he is. That's what he's been doing. Daniel Jones hasn't been putting up great numbers this year or big numbers this year. He's been doing just that. He's been okay. If not for the media dogging him and saying that he's absolute trash, you wouldn't be looking at his season and saying he's doing pretty good. You would say he's about, he's all right, exactly what I thought he was. Daniel Jones is okay. He's not the worst. He's not. I'll put it to you this way. Daniel Jones is good enough. Daniel Jones is a little worse than Matt Ryan. But he's kind of on that level of he's not. He's probably not going to carry you. But he's also not going to blow it either. He's kind of like he's all right. You give him the right weapons, the right group. You could be you could be middle of the road. (laughs) I'm trying to compliment him without giving him too much praise because I don't want to overblow it. I think he's okay. I was one of the few people who didn't have a problem with them taking him in the draft at six. Like, yo, if you love the guy, then take him. What difference does it make? Don't run the chance of letting him go to 17 and then somebody else picking him up. If you love the guy, take him, especially at quarterback. The bigger story in this game to me, though, with this team to me, is Saquon Barkley. So Saquon Barkley had 20 carries for 53 yards. A 2.7 yard average. And I would tell you that's exactly what he is. See, coming out of college, I watched him in college. And what I noticed, there was a pattern that would happen. And, and, and you know, the analysts said it too, and they talked about it too. And even now they'll talk about it, but they say it like in a way that it's like a badge of honor. And it's like, what they'll say is he'll have 15 carries and get one yard per carry and have a bunch of stops whatever and then he'll break a long run he'll break a 70 yarder on you and then bam and i would say yes i noticed that too he'll have like one long run every game and then at the end of the game when you look at it he'll have you know 115 yards on 22 carries and you say wow that's a pretty good day until you realize if you take out that 60 yarder he had well that's a totally different day 
And now you say, yeah, but you can't do that. You can't erase the run. Like, no, you can't erase the run. But if I'm about to have to pay you a massive contract with your injury history and the fact that you're about a 3.4 yard a carry running back, I'm not paying you big money. The Giants made a mistake by not trading Saquon Barkley a year ago, two years ago. They made a mistake by drafting him at all, in my opinion. So I went back and I said, let me look at his season and see what the numbers look like. So there's a high game and there's a low game. So on Sunday, 20 for 53, that was his worst game of the year. His best game was in week one when he had 18 carries for 164 yards. But again, he had a 68-yard run in that game. You take away the 68-yarder, still a good day. 17 carries, about 96 yards. That's pretty good. That's a good day. I'm not mad at that. That was a good game for him. Week two, he had 21 carries for 72 yards. It's not the worst. It's not great. But, oh, but if you take away his long that day, which was 16 yards, he's averaging 2.8 yards a carry. That's not good. His next game, week three, he had 14 carries for 81 yards. Not bad. Unless you take out the 36-yard run that he had, and then he's averaging 3.4 yards a carry. And week four, he had 31 carries for 146 yards. That's pretty good. One of those was a 29-yard run. Again, another big run for him. Take that away. He's averaging 3.9. Week five, 13 carries for 70 yards. Wow, that's, that's not bad. But again, a 40-yard run. Take that away, he's got 12 carries for 30 yards. That's a 2.5-yard average. And week 7, 24 carries for 110 yards. 20-yard long, take that away, he's averaging 3.9. My point is, I don't think Saquon's bad. I just don't think he's worth the money. And I think if you're the Giants, you could have sold it, passed him off to somebody else, got any other running back to come in and average 3.4 yards a carry. Like, that's not impressive. Usually, league average is somewhere between 4 and 5. High end of 4 is usually like tops. 5.1, 5.2 is usually like the top guy. Most guys are probably going to average between 3.8 and 4.2, right? Saquon is a boomer bust player. Saquon is a guy who's going to get, yeah, he's electric. He can get you a 65-yard play. Or he can get you a three-yard loss. And nine times out of ten, he's going to get you about two or three yards. And then every once in a while, he could bust a big one. In my opinion, you don't pay him. You don't bring him back. You don't franchise him. You don't do anything. You let him walk. Because you should have traded him. I've been saying for the last two years you should trade Barkley. Let him go. Does you no good. Does you no good. But hey, man, that's just my opinion. So the Jets uh, head coach, Robert Sala. Sala, Sala, I'll say Sala, Sala, nah, who cares? Um, he says he has no plans to make a quarterback switch this season. Um, people are kind of upset with uh, with Zach Wilson. They think he's, you know, it's kind of bad. Maybe we should put somebody else in there, blah, blah, blah. Now he said, no, we're not going to make any changes. We have full confidence in Zach Wilson's ability to play. I'm going to say right now, put it on record. I love this move. Because what they are doing, and if you're a fan, you probably already know this, even though you don't want to accept it. The reality is no one else on that roster is better. But not only that, you have to see what you have in Zach Wilson. 
A quarterback only gets two, maybe three years to show what they can do before you got to move on. Because otherwise, you're going to end up in the pits. Trust me, Cowboys fans, we know. Once Troy Aikman retired, from Troy Aikman to Tony Romo was a long, dark, dark road. It was a lot of bad quarterbacks. Chad Hutchinson. Oh, God. Uh, I'm not even going to get into the names, man. I'll put it to you this way. Ryan Leaf played for the Cowboys during that time period. And when he went in as a starter, there was a kind of sense of maybe he'll be good. <laughs> That's how bad it got. It got so bad as a Cowboys fan that we actually, I'm saying we because I'm part of this too. We actually thought there's a chance maybe Ryan Leaf could be good. That's how bad it was. So you don't want to do that as a team. So you got to move quick. Here's what the Jets are doing. The Jets are saying, look, we drafted Zach Wilson high. He might be the guy. He might not. We're having doubts. If we bench him now, we can't release him because we have to accept he's not our guy going forward. But the reality is, is there's probably some division in there in that in that uh, in that coaching staff and amongst the organization of maybe he is. Maybe he can be. Maybe he's still young. Maybe we need some work. Maybe we need this or that. So I think what they're doing is they're letting him ride it out. I think they're saying, hey. For the rest of the year, it's his show. Let's see. Then we can evaluate it at the end of the year and do whatever. As a fan, isn't that what you want to? Worst case scenario, you lose every game here on out. You might be getting a really high draft pick. And then you can, if Zach Wilson's not the guy, you can move on and draft yourself the quarterback of the future. If he is the guy, then great. You got your guy and you got a high draft pick. Win-win. Or... Or, best case scenario, he turns it on, they go on a tear, they make a run to the Super Bowl, they win a Super Bowl, and problem solved. Either way, I think the Jets are making the smart move, making the right move, and I love it. I was watching Thursday Night Football, and it was the Browns and the Bengals, and boy, was I wrong on that game. I thought that score would be flipped. I thought for sure the Bengals would go out there and dominate the Browns. What I forgot was... Two key factors. Jamar Chase wasn't playing. I knew it, but I forgot it when I made the pick. I got emotional. I love Joe Burrow. Sue me. Second thing I forgot was how good the Browns' defense is. Their defense is really good, especially that front seven. And then I also forgot how bad Bengals' offensive line can be. So that's my bad. My bad. I lost that game, whatever. Still had a winning record for the week. It's still cool. But what I saw in that game was, man, I started asking myself the question, why can't Jacoby Brissett, Brissett be the starter? Why can't he be a starter in the NFL? Because I think everyone just accepts he's a backup. He's solid. He can come in for a little bit and get it done. To get it done, but he's not a starter. And my question is, why isn't he? Why can't he be? I'm gonna ask a question, and I want you to be real honest and not go based off of what they look like or when they were drafted. But just bear with me here. Is Jameis Winston any better than Jacoby Brissett? Like, when you really break it down, would the Saints, could the Saints get Jacoby Brissett and, and have him be the starter and be fine? I think so. I don't think Jameis Winston is that much better. Is Jacoby Brissett better than, you know, Carson Wentz? Is he better than Taylor Heineke? Right? Like, these. Are, this is what I'm saying. Like, why can't he? I know you have Deshaun Watson, but that brought up another question. Should they have paid that money to Deshaun Watson? Are you sure He's the same guy. 
And if you're going to have Jacoby, Jacoby Brissett, Brissett, I keep, I always mess that up. I swear to you, I mess it up every time. If you're going to have Brissett sit the bench once Deshaun Watson comes back, why? Why not just ride the year out with Jacoby? Let Deshaun Watson sit on the bench. Hey, man, your year is over. You're going to come back week 13 and play four games. We're probably going to not be in a playoff run. And if we are, you haven't been playing, which means the chances of you coming in and being able to perform better than Jacoby at this point right now, highly unlikely. He's been playing every game this year. So you're going to end up somewhere in the middle of the road. Now, look, my stance is always the same. Draft capital means everything. You can improve your team with a single draft class. You can set a, like your, the, reset the course of your franchise with a single draft class. So if you're the Browns, you're not serious Super Bowl contenders. We all agree. And if you're even in a playoff race, why would you switch quarterbacks? Here's what I think they should do. Let Jacoby ride the year out. That's our guy for this year. Worst case scenario, it continues to go downhill. You have a really bad year. You pick high in the draft. Guess what? You got a guy you're really excited about in Deshaun Watson coming back, someone who's established himself as a really good player over the years, although it would have been two years since he played. But hey, we could trust that he's going to be good. And now you have a high draft pick to either make some moves to improve the team or you just draft and improve the team that way and now he's coming back starting from day one as the starter going through no switching no none none of that everybody's established he's the guy and then you have a better team around him now you give him a better chance to be successful you're also letting Jacoby have the opportunity to put some stuff on film to where maybe somebody would make a move for him so now you're repaying him the favor of hey thanks for bailing us out this year thanks for playing ball with us thanks for you know doing right by the organization Help him out. You're helping Deshaun out, which you made this massive investment in Deshaun. So now you're giving yourself the best possibility to have a good return. Win-win. Win-win for everybody. I don't know if they're going to do it, though. I don't know. I hope so, but I doubt it. NFL teams just, who gives us the best chance to win on Sunday? The guy who's playing right now, not the guy who's coming off of a suspension. Especially when you're talking about the backlash. Yeesh. Let that ride out. Let that go to next year. Next year, nobody's going to care about the suspension. Once training camp comes back, it'll be starting all over, so it won't really matter. Coming back from suspension and acknowledging his first start in a year and a half because of a suspension, that's probably, it's probably not good PR. But hey, we'll see. So like I said, so the, the, the trade deadline passed in the NFL and there was a there was a lot of conversation about the Packers. Apparently they were very um, interested in signing or trading for a receiver. I personally thought, nah, don't trade for a receiver. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, for multiple reasons. Number one, my first thought was, man, just draft a guy. Whoever is available out there as a receiver probably isn't life-changing or else the team wouldn't be letting them go. So the fact that you're going to be picking up somebody else's scraps, even Chase Claypool is good, but like, is he a true number one that could dominate? Then why are they letting him go? You know what I mean? Like, you have to start thinking about these things. Like, if they didn't want him, like, ugh. I know people are going to bring up Randy Moss and the Raiders, but if you watch Randy Moss play at the Raiders, it's like, ugh, he's checked out. He don't want to be here, and it shows. You kind of had to move him. 
So I'm always on the side of don't don't trade for the receiver. Let's just draft one. And then secondly, I didn't want them to get out of the, the, the mess they were in because the mess they're in is because of their player development. Their player development is trash. If you drafted these receivers when you did in the second round, maybe your player development is trash. Maybe your coaching staff is trash. Maybe your quarterback's not doing the things necessary to work with these guys a little further to get them better. Maybe he's just like, hey, screw you guys. And then I started thinking, how many? Because everyone says, oh, they picked them and haven't taken a first round wide receiver in forever. And I started thinking, how many first round wide receivers are actually dominating the league? Because if you were to ask me right off the top of my head, I would say no. All the receivers that are tops in the league were drafted later than the first round. That would have been my guess. So just for fun, I decided, let me see if I'm right. Let me see if I'm wrong. Let me see what it actually is. So I looked up the top 10 receivers in the NFL based on catches. Because some guys get a bunch of yards. Some guys might get a bunch of touchdowns. Some guys might get a bunch of yak. Who knows? But catches is a good indication of we're giving you a bunch of targets. We're giving you lots of opportunities because you're our number one. So of the top 10, four, five, six, seven, eight, two of them were actually, one of them was a running back and one of them was a tight end. So I took them out. So eight of the top 10 wide receivers in the league in terms of catches are um, wide receivers actually. So this is what we're paying attention to, right? How many of those were drafted in the first round? I could tell you two. Two. Two of the top 10 receiving threats in the NFL were drafted in the first round. Where were the other ones drafted? I'll tell you. Tyree Kill is number one. Uh, he was picked in the fifth round, uh, 165. Cooper Cup was picked in the third round, pick 69. Stefan Diggs was picked in the fifth round, pick 146. Uh, Justin Jefferson is was a first round pick, but he was picked at 22. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. was picked in the second round, pick 34. Uh, Jamar Chase, he was another first-round pick. He was pick five, and we can all agree he's worth it. And then Tyler Lockett was picked in the third round. So what does that say to me? To me, as a person who's intelligent and who's a thinking man, I start saying, hmm, this says to me that good wide receivers could be had any round of the draft. And that what you have to do is you have to pick the right guy. That comes down to scouting. That comes down to what are you looking for. That comes down to what type of team do you have? What type of offense do you have? And that comes down to player development. Now, I get it. Guys like Cooper Cup, let's be honest. He didn't get drafted because he was white. Let's just be honest. He was white from a, a small school, Division One AA, I believe, right? So you're like, nah, he's, you know. Even though if you look at his combine, if you look at his film, it's like, no, this guy is doing the same exact thing now that he was doing then. But again, you know, these guys who are traditionalists, you see this white dude from a Division I AA school, he's probably not going to be that great in the league. The competition's so much worse. This is the NFL. The competition's so great, blah, blah, blah. You got a guy like Tyreek Hill who's small. He's fast, sure, but he's small. How's he going to hold up in the NFL? Hey player development, scouting, and having a use for what you're drafting. Don't just draft a guy. 
don't just draft a guy because he's there or because he's six five. Like if that's not is that how is that beneficial? How does that help you? So I think the Packers did right by not trading for a receiver and just going with what they got. Let those guys improve. And then in the draft, you draft another guy. And you keep throwing draft picks at it because for you to lose your draft capital or for you to to trade and then not have the, the, the open lane for the guys you have now to improve just doesn't make sense to me. But hey, what do I know? It's one of the few times I actually agree with the Packers. But I think they need to move off that quarterback. That's right. Move off Aaron Rodgers. But we'll save that for another day. All right. So look here. Full full disclaimer. Um, I am about to enter into a zone where it, it it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be a little ranty. I'm going to try. I'm going to try really hard to stay composed. Um, to stay consistent so I can... Really get my points across without forgetting any details or sounding like an idiot or sounding like a hater. So for those of you who don't like Jake Paul, who are not interested in boxing, who are not interested in Jake Paul, hey, don't worry about it. You could you could turn the podcast off now. All right, just turn it off. I'll be posting my picks online if you don't want to get through this to hear what my predictions or my picks for the week are. I'll be posting them on Instagram. On Twitter, you can go there, check them out. If this is it for you, hey, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. See you next week. Um, but for those of you who are interested in in Jake Paul in in boxing in general, because this is for me, this is more of a boxing conversation. Then stick around. Let's get into it. So Jake Paul fought Anderson Silva on Saturday. I said last week I thought Jake Paul would win, and I said, but who cares? I said if if Anderson Silver at 47 years old is the measuring stick for how good Jake Paul is, then what are we talking about? Right? So I came into this fight initially with a lot of hate. I'll be honest with you. A lot of hate for Jake Paul. And as I get older, as I age, and as I do this show more, I start to realize, you know what? Let me get out of the business of trying to be right. Let me get out of the business of being emotional. Let me be real and practical and let me be impartial. So I try not to let fan emotions get into it or anything like that get into my thinking. And I try to just think like, let's be let's be neutral. And when I was doing that, I started to say, man. Jake Paul has greatly improved as a boxer in terms of his skill from the time he started till now. It's obvious. He clearly works incredibly hard. For this fight, he came in. He looked great at the weigh-in. He looked great the night of the fight. You can see he was more defined than he's ever been. He looked bigger. He looked more cut, more lean. He looked like he's really honing in on his boxer physique. Looks like he is 100% dedicated to the idea of I am a fighter. This is what I do. This is my life now. I respect that. I respect the hell out of it. But I also thought to myself, we need to stop. So from this point forward, we can no longer refer to him. We can no longer refer to him as a YouTube kid or a Disney kid or a YouTube influencer. No, he's a boxer. Anyone that dedicates their life three years and going forward to one specific discipline has earned the right to be labeled in that discipline. 
if I do this podcast exclusively for three years and have the intention to keep going, it's okay for you to, it's okay for me. I've earned the respect, earned the right to be called a podcaster. I don't consider myself that now because I've only been in this for a year. I haven't earned it yet. But three years is long enough to say I've been doing this one specific thing for three years. This has been my sole focus. That's what you are now. You earn the title of that now. You've gotten past the the 90 day uh, uh, trial of saying, hey, you now are officially welcomed into this. He's had six fights. Six boxing matches. He can call himself a boxer. He has six professional fights. Regardless of what we think, they were sanctioned fights. They count on an official boxing record. He is a boxer now. We don't care where he came from. If I'm not mistaken, Bernard Hopkins was in jail at one point. But we don't look at him as ex-con. No, that's boxing legend. Like, There comes a point where your past becomes, eh, we don't care. What you are now is what we judge you on. So that's number one. We need to get rid of the curve. Stop grading Jake Paul on a curve. Because that's what we do, right? And that's what the national media does, right? They say, well, he's pretty good for a blank. He's pretty good for a Disney kid. He's pretty good for a YouTuber. But hold on now. He says he's a professional fighter. He says he's dedicated his life to this. He said he's a professional. He's poo-pooed on uh, 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 Hasim Rahman Jr. for not being professional and making weight. He poo-pooed on Tommy Fury for not being a professional and getting the job done and taking the fight. So if he's claiming he's professional, why won't the national media and people covering his fights look at him as a legitimate boxer now? I'll tell you why, because the minute you look at him as a boxer, you start judging him different and the show stops. That's why. There's a couple things. So, again, like I said, I'm trying to be impartial. I'm trying to be reasonable. So I came into this fight really kind of like finding myself impressed with Jake Paul, supporting Jake Paul. And I said it from the beginning. I've always I thought I think what he's doing is awesome. I think what he's doing is so dope. It's so cool to be like, hey, I, I discovered this sport late. I started it as a goof and then I fell in love with it. And now I'm committed. I'm dedicated my life to it. And I want to be a champion. I think that's awesome. I think that's a remarkable story. I think the way he talks about the way it changed his life gave him purpose. The way he tries to give back to the kids by starting a foundation, like by teaching boxing, can help you with your self confidence and anti bullying and all. I think all of that is great. I think all of that is wonderful. I support every bit of that. But the problem is that the people around Jake Paul. Not his team, because his team is doing what they're supposed to do. Blow smoke up his butt. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what the money team did for years. It's embarrassing, but that's what they do. But Showtime, who hosted this event, there's two thoughts I had. Number one, Showtime clearly isn't investing top dollar into these events. They're not. The production doesn't seem the same. They're not even showing the ring walk for for most of the fights. The main event will get the ring walk, but the rest of them, they just end up in the ring. No presentation, no nothing, the the commentary. Like it just it just doesn't feel like the proper presentation for a big fight. Seems like a cash grab. Okay. And the second thing is when you're watching the fights, 
we know it's not. Like, Le'Veon Bell fought some retired UFC fighter, and it was a bad fight. They both looked bad. Uh, but the announcers had to keep kind of being complimentary, almost like it was contractually obligated to be like, hey, don't don't crap on the fights, all right? We know they're not the highest quality, but don't crap on it. Kind of find an angle to give it praise. And it made me realize this whole influencer boxing thing is just one big participation awards. Like they were talking about, oh, you got to give Le'Veon Bell credit and praise for stepping into the ring and being tough enough to stand up to this guy. And he made it to the final bell and that's good for him. He was outclassed and he still made it like what? 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 That's when they start to get me mad. Because like, but if we're being honest, if he looked like trash, he looked like trash. He shouldn't be in there. Right? Shouldn't be in there. Go in there if you want to. But why is Showtime signing on to host this event? It's a cash grab. The idea is that Jake Paul can generate some revenue and so we'll ride, ride the wave. But it's clear that they're not investing all in. Like the production quality is different for the Jake Paul Showtime events versus the other massive pay-per-view events. (sighs) Then we get to the actual Jake Paul fight. Here's what I noticed. Number one, I noticed that Anderson Silva and Jake Paul both realized an interesting fact. They realized what Jake, Jake Paul's power actually is. I think one thing we have to remember is Jake Paul has always fought guys that were smaller than him, not only in height, but also weight. Nate Robinson had to gain weight for the fight. Anderson Gibb doesn't count because they were both like amateurs, whatever, who cares? But, you know, whatever. So Nate Robinson, much smaller in height. Also had to put on more weight than he usually has. So he couldn't be in peak shape. Because peak Nate Robinson is probably 165, 170, 180 maybe, 185. But he had to get all up to like 190, so whatever. Then you have Ben Askren who clearly wasn't in shape or in great shape because he had to put on some weight because he's used to cutting weight for fights. So he was at a weight that he wouldn't normally fight at if he was in peak performance, you know what I mean? Then you have Tyrone Woodley both times, who is a shorter guy who also is is usually fighting at a weight of like 170 or 175 for his whole career. And now is going up to fight at 190. Okay. So again, you're fighting these guys that are used to getting hit by smaller guys. So this is in boxing, okay, for those of you who don't know, when you move up in weight, the first thing they say is, does your power, do you carry your power up to that next weight class? Right? Meaning if I fight at 154 and I'm a big 154, right? Like let's say I'm a big guy. So Canelo was a big guy at 154. Canelo was a guy who clearly should have been fighting at 160, 168, but he was cutting weight to get to 154. He'd come in the night of the fight, 170, 175, and would be bigger than the guys at the weight class. So his power was immense. But the thought was, okay, when he goes up to middleweight now, is he still going to be strong when he's going against guys who are used to fighting guys bigger than him now? 
Because again, if you got to cut weight to get to 160, you're probably coming into the fight around 180. So you're going to be naturally bigger than Canelo is. Is his power going to affect you when you're used to getting hit by guys who have similar power? So Jake Paul finally fought Anderson Silva, who let's not forget was 47 years old. And he couldn't hurt him. At no point in that fight was Anderson Silva hurt by a punch that Jake Paul threw. And I think they both learned an interesting thing. I think Jake Paul realized my power may not be what I thought it was. Because I'm used to hitting guys with a right hand and it's over. Not against Anderson Silva. It wasn't over. Anderson Silva took a bunch. Took a bunch of clean right hands and kept coming. It was fine. Now that either says, one, Anderson Silva has an amazing chin. Or B, maybe Jake Paul doesn't hit as hard. As it seems, because when he goes against guys who are of equal size to him, the power is not the same. If you're used to getting hit by that, it don't you don't react the same. You kind of build up like a, an ability to take. You could take that punch. You're a bigger guy. Also, I noticed in that fight that Jake Paul does a terrible job of understanding distance. In the first round, he threw like 36 jabs and landed two of them. And most of the time, he was throwing them out there. He wasn't anywhere near connecting it. He was just throwing it out there. And throughout the fight, he was throwing right hands, left hooks that were nowhere near the target. Like he was so far away when he was throwing it. And then he lunges in as he's throwing it. And you say to yourself, oh, he doesn't understand like how to move into range. Now, some people will say, oh, he's only been doing it for a couple of years. Like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. This is what you would do. You'd pick it apart and judge and say, here's what it needs to work on. That's fine. I'm not criticizing him that he's not there. But at the end of the fight, when you call out the likes of a Canelo, that's where I have a problem with it now. Because now you're delusional if you think you're at a level to compete with Canelo. More on that later. He also, Jake Paul also telegraphs all of his punches. Every time he's thrown a big right hand, you can see it coming from a mile away. And so did Anderson Silva, and he slipped it a bunch. You can see his left hook coming from a mile away. He slipped it a bunch, ducked right under it. Not even difficult. No thought like, hey, I see it. It's right here. The way he positions his body, I'm at home thinking, oh, he about to throw that right hand. And he does. And you're like, oh, okay, if I can see it, I'm not even a fighter. I don't even know what that looks like, like. I'm just going based off body language. It looks like he's trying to set up a right hand and that's what he's trying to do. When he gets tired or when he gets pressed, he loses all of his technique. He starts throwing very wide punches. They're not crisp. They're not straight. They're very wide looping punches. He grabs. He panics. He starts to run. He damn near turns his back to run across to a a free space. And when he's tired, again, technique goes out the window. And these are eight-round fights against guys who are not pressing him. Anderson Silva lost the fight not because Jake Paul's better, but because Jake Paul was more active. Let's face the facts. That's what it is. He was more active. It's the same reason why he won the first fight versus Tyron Woodley, because he was more active. So... When we look at it again, if you want to say that, fine, he did knock down Anderson Silva. It was a flash knockdown. Anderson Silva got caught taking a step back. I hit with the right hand, caught him off balance. He dropped, got immediately got to a knee, got back up and continued fighting. He wasn't hurt. 
It wasn't a hard shot. It was a flash knockdown. And for the guys on Showtime not to call it what it was and to make it seem like Jake Paul had landed a big right hand, it's annoying. That's the part that's annoying, is that people keep praising what he's doing as if we've never seen it before. As if you're actually impressed, like you think he could fight a legitimate boxer. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. How bad do you think he would lose to someone like, let's say, Gabe Rosado? Not not the top of the level. How how bad do you think he loses that fight? How bad do you think he loses to a Danny Jacobs? How close? How close do you think they are in terms of skill? That's what I'm saying. Don't talk to me. See, I'm trying not to get mad because I don't want this to be a, a mad topic. Just trying to be I'm just trying to be honest and get my, my feelings out there. Again, like I said, most of my problems are not even with Jake Paul and what he's doing. My problem is the coverage and the way that it is covered. So the first so the obvious question after Jake Paul wins is what's next? Who's next for Jake? Now what does Jake Paul say? Jake Paul says that he wants to fight Nate Diaz, not a boxer. Says he's open to fight Tommy Fury. Very low-level boxer, but sure, I'll give you credit for that one. And then he calls out guys like Canelo. And he says, you too, Canelo, stop ducking me. He says, people said I couldn't beat a real fighter. A guy like Anderson Silva, a legend. And I just did, so why can't I beat Canelo? I can tell you. I can tell you. Uh, Because find me one person that thinks that Anderson Silva would beat Canelo. Go ahead. Find me one. Find me one person on this planet that would tell you right now in a boxing match, Anderson Silva would beat Canelo. Not going to find one. And for that matter, find me one person that thinks that Jake Paul can beat Canelo right now. Probably won't find it. And the guys at Showtime commentating on the fight would 100% say, <laughs> no, Canelo would would absolutely destroy Jake Paul. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't be close. It wouldn't be close. The fight would honestly only go so far as Canelo wanted it because Canelo would be patient. Because here's what would happen. Canelo would make it a 10 round fight for sure. And what Canelo would do was kind of take the first round to feel him out, see where he's at, see what he reacts to, and then he would seek and destroy. My problem is, the first person he called out is who he wants to fight next. He wants to fight Nate Diaz. Last time I checked, Nate Diaz wasn't a professional boxer. Gets you no closer to a title. Last time I checked, uh, Tommy Fury, I'm sure he's a fighter, he's a boxer. You can, I can give you credit for that. I can give you kudos. But that's just the name. People who know boxing know that Tommy Fury is not very good either. So, like, you're just beating up. You're just better than a guy who's not very good. But, hey, 
it would go on your resume as fighting a legit professional boxer, not somebody making their pro debut. And that's where fight fans like me have the biggest issue with Jake Paul. Is what you're doing is claiming how good you are based off of taking guys who've been in MMA, not boxers. You're not fighting boxers. You're taking guys who haven't boxed before or who haven't done it in a long time or are just way past their fighting prime. Way past. Like not even close. Like not even like they were there to. No, not even close. And you're asking them, come over to boxing to these rules, which you're not used to, which you don't know how to conduct yourself. And you're not going to learn it. See, Jake Paul's smart. Jake Paul knows I've been doing this for three years and it's still stuff that I don't know. There's no way you're going to learn all of that in an eight-week fight camp. You're not. So I'm going to come in with the advantage in almost every category. The advantage you have is you've been fighting professionally longer than me, but you haven't been boxing longer than me. And what we need to stop doing as fans and as the announcers and as the sports media is pretending like we don't see this nonsense. What we want as fight fans, like Jake Paul keeps saying they want me to fight a real boxer. No. We want you to start fighting boxers, multiple, start fighting boxers so that you can progress as a fighter. And then we can watch you potentially going against the likes of a Canelo for a championship and we can support or hate either way. Give us that opportunity. Right now, what you're doing is walking on a treadmill. You're not going anywhere. You're in the same spot today that you were last week before you fought Anderson Silva. You are no closer to a title. And if you're not trying to fight for an actual title, then what the hell are you doing this for? For fun? Cool. Then go over there with KSI and all the influencer boxing and go do that. Because that's for fun. Those guys aren't challenging the likes of a Canelo. Those guys aren't grabbing the hat off of Floyd Mayweather's head and making it seem like that's not a legend of the sport. Those guys aren't calling out the MMA community. Those guys are boxing in their own league, their own thing, and having fun doing that. But you keep coming around here talking like you about to be a champion in this. And yet you're not even participating in it yet. You're not participating in the fight in boxing. You're not. We want to see you fight a guy that his resume doesn't say MMA accomplishments. That doesn't say making pro debut. And it's not because we want to see Jake Paul lose. That's not what it is. It's because we want to see how good he actually is. And the way you judge a boxer on how good he is is how good he does against boxers. So when you're coming up and you're fighting the lower level guys like, hey, Tommy Fury, perfect fight for you. Perfect fight for you. Tommy Fury, good, man. Take that fight. That's a good step for you in the right direction. And then after Tommy Fury, you step it up a notch. And then after that next guy, you step it up a notch and then you step it up a notch. And then we say, is he ready for like a a big dog? And then you go get again an older boxer. Sure. Fine. Some guy that's a little bit of a veteran, but is crafty, you know, and you go through those steps. That's what every boxer does. He is right when he says that. The problem is, is you're not doing that. You're going to get these UFC guys who've never boxed before. And then you're asking them to come fight you as you're training in boxing. I said it last week. I detailed it last week. That's like me going out and getting professional basketball training from professional trainers 
spending three years doing that and then going to the elementary school or the middle school and playing basketball against those kids and saying, look how good I am. The level that you train on is not the level of opposition you're choosing. You're choosing lesser competition because you want the payday. Because you're trying to back your way into a big fight against a big name, just like your brother did against Floyd. And now Logan Paul never has to box again. He got that big money fight from Floyd, and that's all he needed. He could live the rest of his life fine now. Now, of course, he's complaining he didn't get paid. But, hey, man, that's them's the breaks. <laughs> but I'm saying that's what Jake Paul at the end of the day wants. If he fought Canelo, and my wife said, well, why doesn't Canelo just fight him then? I I wish. I wish I could call Canelo on the phone and say, do me a favor. Can you just fight this guy just so we can see? Just so that he can get his ass beat and we can all sit back and be like, all right, we weren't crazy. But be careful. And also, before you claim that I'm moving the goalposts, because, you know, everyone's going to say, oh, you said you wanted to see him fight, blah, blah, blah. They said he wouldn't fight Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva's the guy who should fight. He did and he won, blah, 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 blah. No. 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 You're not a contender. You're not. Jake Paul is not a contender for a title. Jake Paul is not on the list of guys that Canelo should be concerned about. That's a cash grab for Canelo. That's an easy night for Canelo. Easy. I'll tell you why. Because what what boxers will tell you and what boxing aficionados will tell you and what Showtime will tell you is... There's certain things, Max Kellerman said it best, and and I think Stephen A. said it as well. There's certain movements and reactions that you do as a boxer. When you've been boxing, your body will just autopilot react to certain things. If Canelo sees Jake Paul reach with a right hand, okay, and every time he lunges with that right hand, he falls over towards his left and he dips to his left. You know what Canelo's going to do out of instinct, not even thinking about it? Slip back and come forward with that massive uppercut the same way he did with Billy Joe Saunders. And you know what's going to happen to Jake Paul when that happens? Night, night. It's over. It's over. Jake Paul's never been punched that crisp. Jake Paul's never gotten body shots the way Canelo will tear his body apart. Jake Paul's never been walked down by a guy with that skill. Because I can promise you, I don't give a damn who he's sparring with. Whoever he's sparring with is not on the level of Canelo. Facts. Don't care what you say. So when you win a fight like this, I understand it's major for him. I understand, look, it's a major win for him. It is. It absolutely is. Anderson Silva is a a widely respected combat veteran. Like, hey, man, it was a tough fight. But that says a lot, too. The fact that you had a tough time with the 47-year-old who's had less professional boxing matches than you. That says a lot about where your skill actually is. See, we get caught up in the idea that, oh, it's Anderson Silva. He's got X, Y, and Z. Look at his resume. Yeah, but where is he now? He ain't 27 now. He's not 37 now. He's 47. This 25-year-old man beat up on this 47-year-old man for eight rounds. Couldn't take him out. Couldn't hurt him. Okay? Got one nice little flash knockdown. That was it. Otherwise, didn't really look all that impressive. 
And you want to call out Canelo? Come on, man. Don't be stupid. And he keeps saying that he... This is my last point. And he keeps saying that he loves boxing. I love boxing. I love the sport of boxing. Then what do you actually do for boxing? What does he do? What does Jake Paul do for boxing? Because all I ever hear from Jake Paul is he calls out MMA fighters. Well, hold on now. If you love boxing, why don't you call out some boxers? If you keep saying, oh, I gave you your biggest payday, then why don't you call on some low-level boxer who doesn't get big paydays and give him his biggest payday? Because he's a boxer because you love boxing, right? You love the sport of boxing. So why every time when you have a boxing event, your opponent isn't a boxer who can benefit from that paycheck? Sounds to me like you're giving the UFC guys all of the... The bump and pay. Oh, he cares about fighter pay. He really does. He thinks it's unfair the amount of money they make. But, oh, wait a second. He's talking about MMA fighter pay. He don't talk about the boxer fighter pay? He don't talk about what promoters do to boxers. That's all crappy. He doesn't talk about how fights like Spence versus Crawford can't happen because of the promotions. He's always talking about UFC. That's odd. If you love boxing... Why are you always in UFC business? Why every time your name comes up or there's a quote for you about anything, it's always UFC. In fact, he made a bet with Anderson Silva before the fight. And if he said, if he win, you would help me and partner with me in getting a union for the fighters for UFC so they can get better pay. So you used a boxing match to benefit the UFC fighters. What exactly are you doing for boxing the sport that you love so much? Please enlighten me because I want to know. And all he ever does is insult professional boxers. Like when you get face to face with Floyd Mayweather, one of the greatest of all time, uh, you decided to do a stupid stunt talking about gotcha hat. So, again, what are you doing for boxing? If you want to bring up uh, Amanda Serrano, well, where is she? I mean, did she fight recently? I don't know. You're making all you're making money off of a sport that you're not helping. You're throwing shy sideshows and throwing sideshows and these events that you're throwing is not helping the sport because that's benefiting you, but it's not benefiting the sport. Again, Lomachenko fought that same night. I don't think the people who are watching the Jake Paul event was like, yo, let me flip back and forth because I want to see that Lomachenko fight. Like it wasn't a thing. B-Vol is fighting Ramirez this Saturday. Let's see the ratings on that fight. Let's see if they're up. Because Jake Paul is fighting and loves boxing so much that he's bringing so many eyes to the sport. Let's see how, how high those ratings can get because of Jake Paul. Like, promote the fights. Promote other fights. Talk about other fights. Show up to other fights. Jake Paul has no problem showing up to all the UFC events, but he ain't showing up to no fights. He's not showing up to like a mid-level fight just to see what's going on, just to support, throw his name. Like he's not doing none of the stuff these other fighters are. All his attention is focused on the UFC and what they need to improve and what they could do better. Why? Because that's where his level is skilled. That's where his in is. 
I can insult the boxers and talk about how I beat somebody. I'd beat that guy. I could beat Canelo. I could do all this because that's the money fight. So I'll keep talking about that so people have to cover it. But in the meantime, the way I'll get there is take these UFC fighters who are super, super masculine and ego driven. And ah, you, you can't beat me like the testosterone is crazy. Call them out when they're old, when they're washed when they're no longer useful to the UFC, drag them over to a sport that they don't participate in so they could take eight weeks to try to get some sort of basic idea down, drag them into the ring and knock them out and then talk about how you do the same to Canelo. Canelo will beat Jake Paul's ass. <laughs> like, it's not just me, right? If you're listening to this right now, you you agree with me. Like, we all agree, like, it it would be so it would be such a like it would be such a mismatch that you would be like okay no 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 it doesn't nah that's not it so I got the perfect fighter for Jake Paul to fight next it depends on where you want to go oh my bad I hit the mic <laughs> it depends where you want to go hey Jake if you want to go the route of continuing the show and just trying to have like these big events then you know what you do you fight nate diaz next you get that hype you beat nate diaz he's gonna look he's gonna watch nate diaz i'll tell you right now he's putting nate diaz on his back he's going to destroy nate diaz because nate diaz claim to fame is being able to take a lot of damage boxing's different than ufc boxing you go down stop the fight count to 10 see what happens you don't get to lay on your back and crawl around and the guy jump on you and then whatever, whatever. You don't get to do that. You can lose a fight and not be hurt in boxing. You get knocked down three times. If there's a three knockdown rule, hey, you out. You lost. TKL, first round. So he could take a lot of punches. So he's going to take a lot of punches and Jake Paul's going to knock his ass out. That's what's going to happen in that fight against Nate Diaz. I hate to break it to you. That would be the first time I will be rooting for somebody for Jake Paul to knock somebody out. Because that's a guy who I think is not quite aware of the fact of I don't really box. I'm not going to do it. Then you could fight Tommy Fury too. Fight Tommy Fury. Do it in England. Play the bad guy role. Go over there. The whole city, the whole town will hate you. Everybody will be booing you at the stadium. It'll be a big event. Go ahead and do that. If that's the route you want to go. If you do want to get closer to an actual Canelo fight, here's the guy you fight next. You fight Badu Jack. There you go. He's a guy who's not top of the food chain, but he's very well respected, very good fighter, very tough fighter, a guy that will sit there in your face, toe to toe and battle you for eight straight rounds. That's a guy who if you beat Badu Jack, that is a massive win for you. Massive. If you thought Anderson Silva got credit for beating Chavez Jr., if Jake Paul beats Badu Jack, bruh. I, here's one thing I will say. Every single fighter will be like, yo, he got it. That boy could. That boy could fight. Because that's a guy who you're not going to beat Badu Jack just by like dancing around or whatever. He's going to catch you. He's going to get to you. Whatever. That's the fight that I want to see. That's the fight Jake Paul should go after next because Badu Jack would take it. What the hell? <laughs> Yo, my apologies for these bells, man. I don't know what's going on today, but I swear to you, the 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 the, the gods are not in favor. I'm a, I must be saying something wrong because I can't get away from noise today. Okay, 
I've tried to edit it out and cut it out the video. I'm not cutting this one out because I'm fed up. <laughs> I got my wife taking out the garbage. I got the garbage truck coming down the street three, four times. That's never happened since I've been here. I got birds chirping. I got wind. I got everything, man. Come on, y'all. Let me finish the show. Got some church bells. I don't even think there's a church within five miles of my house. <laughs> uh, anyway. Badu Jack is the guy that I would ask. I would say Jake Paul should go after next. I think he should call him out. I think he should fight him, sign the deal. Badu Jack's probably going to want a little bit of money. Sure, give him a big payday though. But that—that's an event that you're that—that that fight, a Badu Jack Jake Paul fight, will make far more money than any other fight Jake Paul can make. Why? Because the entire boxing community is going to now get involved in this fight because they know Badu Jack. They know who this guy is. They know his rep. You fight Tommy Fury, I promise you there's a lot of boxers that have no I have never seen Tommy Fury fight. They just know his brother. And you think you could capitalize on that, but guess what? That fight's not gonna be as big as it would against Badu Jack. You'd have the whole boxing community watching that fight, because they would be pulling for their guy. And they would want to know, yo, could he really beat Badu Jack, bro? Now Badu Jack's not the best. So you're not going against the best fighter in the world. You're going against a damn good one and a damn tough one. That will test your power. That will test your ability. That is a guy you should go after next. A guy who's already said, I would love that fight. They ain't going to call me, though. They're not stupid. Be stupid. Make the call. And then that's a real test for your skill. And again, you still get the win-win, Jake. Like, Jake Paul can still say, hey, I lost to Badu Jack. I'm six fights in. I clearly have a lot still to learn, but it was a great measuring stick for me to say, here's where I'm at, and here's where I can get better and move forward. And every single person would respect Jake Paul for taking that fight, number one, and then accepting the loss, number two. And if he won, hey, bro, that's how you earn respect. Nobody respects you beating Anderson Silva. Because even everyone who picked Anderson Silva before, afterwards says, ah, you know what? I probably was picking a lot more more based on reputation based on like what's what's there now because nobody thinking now was actually going to pick anderson silva to beat jake paul anderson Silva was 47 years old what do you really want him to do honestly come on be real stop but either way like i'm just saying that's the fight i think he should take if that's the direction you want to go in, if you really want to get respect, if you really want to work your way up the rankings, if you really want to become a real boxer, if you really want to gain actual respect from the boxing community, if you really want to help boxing and, and big boxing up because you love the sport, then do that. And stop promoting Amanda Serrano with, with you all over the promotion. Look, I know the Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor fight was massive, but I want to tell you this right now. That had a lot to do with the fact that Katie Taylor was in the fight. and She's super popular. And also has a lot to do with Eddie Hearn helping promote the fight as well. There was credibility given to that fight. There was anticipation built into that fight because the people surrounding it, not Jake Paul, were actual legit, like, we know this. Now, Jake Paul brought his little crew in, sure. But I think that fight would have been just as big if Jake Paul didn't exist. If Jake Paul wasn't representing Amanda Serrano, like, why are you doing a face-off with Eddie Hearn? That's because the world wants to know what Eddie Hearn is willing to say to your face. Not you. That's just, you know, whatever. But I digress. Let's get into the picks for this week. So I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I feel like I'm, I'm on the rebound. This week, we go for some home runs. <laughs> I got some really good picks. 
So in college, I got Georgia is playing Tennessee. Now, Tennessee just came out in the first playoff, uh, in the first college football playoff ranking. They came in at number one. And I wanted to hate. And I said, you really think they're number one? And then I started thinking back on their resume. And I said, ah, yeah, you got to put them at number one. Not mad at that. They got some big wins, some tough wins over some quality opponents. You got to put them at number one. I'm not mad. But here's the thing. They're now going against Georgia. Georgia now has the opportunity to take out the number one team. Georgia feels like we won the national championship last year. We've come back this year and we've dominated this year too. So why are we not number one? Why are we number three? I think Georgia matches up well with Tennessee. I think Georgia could, I think Georgia's defense, the athletes they have can kind of hold Tennessee's big plays down a little bit, limit them, giving them a chance on offense. And I think offensively, they're just mature. I think Stetson Bennett is just an adult. He's like 30 years old. So I don't think he gets bothered by crowd noise or anything like that. Like, I think he's good to go. I don't think the moment's going to be too big for him. I think he's good to go. I think Georgia, I like Georgia to beat Tennessee. I also like LSU to beat Alabama. Now, why do you say that? Well, I think LSU is starting to come on, kind of figure out the way that they win these games. And I think Alabama is just a bit off this year. There's something about it that they're just a bit off. They just don't seem as dominant. They don't seem as scary. They don't seem as unstoppable. They seem like they have a lot more flaws, a lot more holes. Again, this is the in-between year from when you had a dominant roster to now the next year where it's your kind of rebuilding. You got a bunch of new guys in new places, new faces in new places. And I, I just think that there's a eh, there's something off there. So I like LSU to beat Alabama. I'm actually picking Kansas State to beat Texas. I know. I've been picking against Kansas State seemingly every week for so long, trashing them. But they're playing Texas at home at night. I, I, I want My first thought was Texas will win that game. But then I started realizing, well, wait a second. Kansas State at home against Texas at night. The place is going to be rocking. They're actually having a good season. I've seen Texas be terrible. I've seen them lose big leads. I've seen them kind of get overwhelmed early. I'm going to go with Kansas State to beat Texas. Ohio State, of course, they're going to beat Northwestern. I don't need to tell you why. We just know that that's going to happen. Uh, And this is my big, big upset for the week. I think Notre Dame beat Clemson. I think, hold on, let me say that again because I feel like that sounded weird. (laughs) I think Notre Dame beats Clemson. I do. I think about once or twice a year, a team will have a statement win. I think Notre Dame is the kind of team that will play up to the level of competition. We saw it against Ohio State. Notre Dame played really well in that game against Ohio State. I think against Clemson, I think Clemson is trending down. Like I've been telling you all year, something about them is not right. I think Notre Dame is starting to put it together a little bit. They kind of found their way a bit. They got some wins going here. I just think Notre Dame comes into this game understanding the magnitude of the game, what it means, what it will do for their season. I think Marcus Freeman understands what this would do for him as a coach in his coaching season. And for that reason, I think Notre Dame comes out and gets the win. Now, moving to the NFL, uh, the Eagles are favored by 14 over the Texans on Thursday night. Uh, Yeah, I'm taking the Eagles and the 14. I think they destroy the Texans. Short week. 
Texans aren't very good to begin with, but now in a short week, yeah, the Eagles are going to destroy the Texans. Now, look, that's one of those games. I hope that I'm absolutely wrong. I hope the Texans win. I like Davis Mills. I hope the Texans win, but I just I don't believe it. I do think the Eagles will win by more than 14. The Bills are favored by 13 over the Jets. Uh, yeah, I'm taking the Bills and the 13 points. I think the Jets are pretty bad. I think Zach Wilson's a turnover machine. And against the Bills defense where they get turnovers, I could see four or five turnovers. The Jaguars, uh, actually the Raiders are favored by one and a half over the Jaguars. I'm taking the Jaguars and the points. I think the Jaguars beat the Raiders. I think the Raiders are a mess. I think that coaching staff is gone at the end of the year. I think they might blow up the whole thing. I think there is something going on with the Raiders this year where it's just one of those seasons where things just aren't going well. There's not one reason why. Nobody's really doing anything wrong. It's just not working. It's just something's in the stars that just says it's not for you this year. I like the Jaguars to beat the Raiders, so I'll take the Jaguars and the one and a half points. The Cardinals are favored by two over the Seahawks. I don't know why. The Seahawks are playing not great. Like, they're not great at all. Don't get me wrong. But they also play a certain way. Like, they know who they are. They know how they have to play, and they just play that way. Win or lose, that's what they do. The Cardinals, Kyler Murray's all over the place. Look, <laughs> throw out my rankings, okay? Throw out the cyber rankings because this guy was, ranked what, number 10, number 9? I didn't believe it. Now, as far as talent, sure, fine. But look, we're going to have to make some adjustments to the list, I guess, next year because I don't believe this guy's a top 10 quarterback. I believe he's bad. He's super talented, but he's a moron. <laughs> he's a moron as far as a quarterback. It's just, it's chaotic. I think LaShawn McCoy said it best where he said he plays like he's in high school and that's not going to get it done in the league. He runs around like he's in high school, whatever, that's not going to get it done. He's not reading coverages. He's not seeing things well. I think the Seahawks take advantage. I'll take the I'll take the Seahawks and the two points. The Ravens are favored by three over the Saints for Monday night. I like the Ravens to beat the Saints. I think the Saints are a little messier than the Ravens. The Ravens are good. At some point, they're going to put it all together and have one of those games. Three points. I'll take the three. I'll take the Ravens and the three points. That's my time, y'all. Look, I appreciate y'all coming through. I apologize if the whole Jake Paul ranty thing kind of didn't sit well with you. If you didn't like it, my bad. I gotta do what I gotta do. These things come into my head. These things are things that I want to talk about. I gotta get them out of my brain. But look, if you sat through it, if you stuck there with me, hit me up. Let me know what you think. Follow me on all social media platforms. Cyber underscore pod. That's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D. Uh, take my picks with a grain of salt. But look, we're doing pretty good. Winning record over the course of the year. I think I was 6-3 last week. This week, we about to be a perfect 10-0. Watch me. Look, go get you some money. Uh, gamble responsibly. Uh, I apologize in advance if I was wrong. Please don't bet too much on my picks because what do I know? Sometimes I'd be right. Look, I'll see y'all next week. Enjoy your time. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the fight. Watch the Bivol Ramirez fight. We're going to talk about that next week maybe and see what that means for a Canelo Bivol rematch. Wow, who knows? Look, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm tired. It's time for me to go. I'll see y'all next week.